The following is a message by Dr. James Renahan from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Please turn in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 1, first chapter of the prophet Malachi. And hear God's word. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. If Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says, they may build, but I will tear down, and they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this, and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name? But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lamb or lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. May God's blessing be on this reading from his holy word. Let's pray. O Lord, help us to understand now your word. Come and speak to us. Teach us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Waiting is often very difficult. Most people experience impatience and distraction and disappointment while they long for something to happen. Teenagers impatiently wait until they're able to get a driver's license. Young women hope for the day when they'll be married. 
Chicago Cubs fans, well, <clears throat> you know that story. <laughs> when Malachi wrote his prophecy, Israel was waiting. And Israel was distracted and disappointed and was once again wandering away from the Lord. We're all familiar with the story. The remnant that had returned from exile was full of hope and expectation. God had restored them to the land, given wonderful promises. And now the nation would advance to see the fulfillment of God's work on the earth. Reality did not meet expectation. The nation was really an insignificant backwater province of the Persian Empire. There was no king to lead the people. And worst of all, the glory that had once belonged to Jerusalem and its temple was gone. The excitement of the restoration had turned into a dull life of routine. Malachi is an important book. It's the last prophetic word that the Lord gave to his people for four centuries. Sometimes we forget this fact. We turn the page and we read these words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It's very easy for us in turning that page to forget that long era. 400 years, 400 years ago today, or this year, King James was authorizing the publication of his Bible. In the Netherlands, Arminius had died less than two years before, and the Synod of Dort had not yet convened. In the New World, Jamestown had just been settled for only four years, and here in California, there were no Europeans. Spanish navigators had sailed along the coast, but the missions wouldn't be planted for another 150 years. 400 years is a long time. Did the people know that this would be the last word from the Lord for 400 years? Probably not. But these last words were important. They addressed this pressing problem, distraction and impatience and disappointment. For Israel was once again wandering from the Lord. The book of Malachi consists of a series of six dialogues between the Lord and the people. He indicts the nation for its unbelief, and shockingly, they seek to excuse themselves in the face of the Lord's indictment. The Lord comes to them, and he tells them that there is no life in their religion. They accuse him of failing to keep his covenant. Of course, you can't use guilt to manipulate God, but that's exactly what they were seeking to do. We come to this book, and here is an unknown prophet. We read his name in the first verse, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Malachi. But we have to ask a question, was that his name? Did some father, upon the birth of his son, give to him the name Malachi? Or is it rather a designation? Should it be translated? Is it my messenger? You know, that's all we know about this author. He's a shadow. That's all that he is, a shadow who speaks to us the word of the Lord. Certainly, he is the messenger of God. And as he looks at the circumstance in the land around him, he ex understands exactly what is happening. And through this, the report of these dialogues, he calls the nation to repentance. Notice a couple of things here in chapter 1. In verse 2, the Lord speaks. 
He comes and declares himself to the people. He says, I have loved you. This is the language of covenant, isn't it? The Lord speaks to his people and he tells them that they have a special place. And yet their reply is so cheeky. How have you loved us? Lord, it's as if they're saying this. Lord, you say you love us, but look around. Our nation is unimportant. We have no king. Our temple has no glory. Our enemies mock us daily. How have you loved us? As I was thinking about this, it struck me, we have an idiom. It's as if they were saying, what have you done for us lately? Where are you now? And what are you doing now? Lord, if you love us, why do we wait? And what do we wait for? You've given us promises and we don't see them happening around us. How have you loved us? What kind of response is that to give to God? Do you get the feeling of blame shifting here? Look around, Lord. All these dull realities are your fault. You could act. You could bring life and glory. Life is ordinary. And you say you love us? But you know, in chapter 1, it's not just the people. It's also the priests. In verses 6 through 14, there is a strong indictment against those who ought to be leading the people in righteousness. As they fulfill their responsibilities, they accept and they offer polluted food. Not the best, as was commanded in the law of God, but the worst. Blind animals and lame and sick and maimed. Beasts that were easily disposed of. I wonder, did the priests provide these unacceptable creatures in Jerusalem? We know that there was a supply in Jerusalem that travelers could access. They could purchase these things. That's what caused our Lord to cleanse the temple was the extortion that had developed as a result of this practice. Were these priests bringing themselves from their own stock unacceptable sacrifices to offer to God for the people? Probably. Perhaps did some Jews who could bring with them the least of their flocks to offer? As they surveyed their cattle or their sheep, they thought, I'll keep that one, but I don't need that one. I'll bring that to the Lord. Probably. And the Lord would not accept them. He asked the question, would you present these things to your governor? Would he accept from you these polluted gifts? Would he receive them to his table? And yet you bring them to me? Should the Lord receive them? You see, chapter 1, just the introduction to this book, tells us that both people and priests had settled down into a lifeless religious routine. They acknowledged the Lord. They brought sacrifices. Remember that. They did these things, but they didn't serve him with fervor. In fact, they blamed him for the lack of fervor in their own lives. If we were to continue reading through the rest of the prophecy, we would see that in these dialogues, the Lord cites more examples. Divorce and excusing sin and injustice and stealing from God. Imagine hearing those words, will a man rob God, and yet you rob me? The book of Malachi is a shocking indictment of sin in a people who had been 
and who would be richly blessed. But it's not merely an indictment. It's also a statement. Because Malachi not only presents to us these disputes that the Lord has with his people, he also tells us what the Lord will do. And he emphasizes two things that the Lord intends to bring. He will bring judgment and he will bring salvation. You know, it's interesting that we read in verse 1 of chapter 1 the name of the prophet Malachi or perhaps the designation of this man, my messenger. But if we continue to read through the book, we'd see that there's another Malachi who appears in chapter 3 and verse 1. Here, the ESV translates it. Behold, I send Malachi. I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And then there's a third messenger, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. The second Malachi is the one who prepares the way of the Lord. He sets the stage for the coming of still another messenger who will refine and purify so that the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord. Now, who is he? Who is this messenger of the covenant? Well, this is where we who use the Christian Bible can turn the page and see. We turn the page and what do we come to? The gospel of Jesus Christ in Matthew. Even in the Hebrew Bible, which has a differing ordering of the books, The next thing that you see is Psalm 1, and it makes the same point. Christ is the one. He is the one who comes to purify and refine. He is the one who calls us to himself for life and forgiveness. Now, what's especially interesting is that Malachi doesn't stop there. Because he speaks again of of another coming of this messenger, of the great end when the day of the Lord will arrive. This is in chapter 4. The messenger of the covenant will come twice. And we live in the days between his comings. And I wonder, is it possible that Israel, and I mean God's people, the church, is it possible that we may sometimes fall prey to the same dangers that old Israel faced 2,500 years ago? Do we grow weary of what seems to be routine? Do we fall into the trap Peter describes where scoffers and mockers ask the question, where is the sign of his coming? Do we offer to him our own sick and blind and lame sacrifices? Do we harbor resentment when it seems that he doesn't meet our expectations? Do we tire of the routine, the ordinary, and fall to the temptation to offer an alternative to the Lord? See, we live in a time of greater promise because the messenger of the covenant has come for the first time and he will come again for the second time. You know, it's interesting that though Israel is indicted in the book of Malachi, there was a faithful group who are praised by the Lord, we find them at the end of chapter 3. There the Lord speaks of those who fear him and who love one another. They feared the Lord. They loved those who feared the Lord. Their eyes were heavenward. Their faith was secure in God's truthfulness. 
And they were willing to wait, knowing that the promises of God were true. Dear friends, we need to take heed. We don't see with our physical eyes the glory of the Lord. It is the eyes of faith that must see him. Let us not be like the priests who allowed the people to grow weary in doing good. I was reminded of those words from the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians as I was preparing. His warning is a one-sentence warning that's similar to what we find in the book of Malachi. Brothers and sisters, we must trust the promises of God and wait with expectancy for his return the second time when the great day of the Lord comes. Let us seek to serve him with all of our hearts and soul and strength and might. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this warning. We thank you for Christ who forgives. We desire to serve you with life and fervency. Keep us from complaints against you. May your spirit help us to rejoice in your promises and look for your coming. We pray in Christ's name. Copyright 2011, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.